created us. Father, be with us now as we come under your word. Lord, transform us by it. Still us under it. And uphold Ben as he delivers it to us this morning. This we ask in the holy and powerful and perfect name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. And as you're seated, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. Looking at verse 28 through 30, and all year our theme is that our desire for you is to experience the transforming power of the gospel. So we want to have an encounter with Christ so we, we hear him and he speaks to us personally and powerfully in the way we're moving our first kind of segment in that uh, desire. And we're calling created and called. And if you're going to experience the transforming power of the gospel, you have to know that you You've been created in love and called in love. You've been created for a purpose and called to a purpose. So a couple weeks ago, we saw Jesus as he calls blind Bartimaeus to himself and he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And it taps into our deepest desires about what we want and need out of life. And last week we looked at Isaiah 55 and how God sets up this BC signpost that's meant to point us forward to this AD reality. Where he says, I'm sending my suffering servant who's going to purchase salvation. And I want the whole world to come. All who are thirsty, come to the celebration. And so last week we heard the call, his call to the thirsty, call to the poor, come and drink. You can buy even if you have no money, come. And then this week we're going to listen to Jesus's call. Uh, God calls the thirsty last week and this week we hear Jesus calling the weary, come, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we're going to hear. And our, my goal this morning for that call is simply for you to hear it and then heed it. So let's hear the call and let's heed it. But he's calling the weary, the burdened. So the question is, all right, who are the weary? Who are the burdened? Who are the tired, the wounded, the worn out? I was really in, uh, intrigued to learn this week that several years ago, the World Health Organization designated a epidemic for the developing world uh, that I actually hadn't heard too much about. But they designated that sleep deprivation is an official epidemic in the developing world. And they define it if you, um, or they estimate that two thirds of the inhabitants of the developed world suffer from sleep deprivation. And some of the effects, the physical effects, if you routinely sleep less than seven hours a night, it demolishes your immune system, more than doubling your risk for cancer. It exponentially increases your risk for Alzheimer's. It causes your coronary arteries to either become blocked or brittle, setting you up for congestive heart failure or cardiovascular disease or stroke. 
And those are some of the physical effects, the mental effects of sleep deprivation. Uh, they say sleep deprivation is one of the main contributors to all forms of psychiatric conditions, especially depression, anxiety, and suicidality. The connection is so strong that they say not everyone who suffers from sleep deprivation also suffers from depression, but everyone who suffers from depression suffers from sleep deprivation. And that's just the effects, like, physically. I mean, we don't have time to go into, like, what does it mean to be, like, cognitively, not have mental rest, where, like, your mental thoughts can, can spiral out of control, and you can't, like, stop the heaps of, like, personal recrimination that you put on yourself, or the, the restlessness that causes, like, in our soul, in a social media world, where we're constantly bombarded with the temptation to constantly compare ourselves to everyone else or the restlessness that can come from the sheer overload of choices that we have from everything from which cereal do you choose to which career do you choose. It's seemingly endless opportunities where you can just feel lost and aimless or if you're not achieving or experiencing certain things that somehow you're a failure. Or we can talk about like the restlessness that comes, especially for kids. I feel so sorry for kids because they're constantly placed in environments where they're just bombarded with sensory, sensory overload, where it's like everything is loud and bright and flashing and spinning and just constantly restless. You know, we live in a restless age. But then I start to wonder, you know, is this anything new? Is there anything new about our restlessness? Summer, a fascinating book. I, uh, I was going to say I read. Honestly, I skimmed through it, but it was still interesting. But it was about cultural historian Scott Sandage, and the name was called Born Losers. A history of failure in America. Because one of the weights that we're under in America is, I mean, this is America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, the place of opportunity. We love winners. We're about winners here. And uh, he said that the idea of the phrase, I feel like a failure, comes so naturally to us that we forget that it originally was a business term that then was applied to the soul, to the individual, to identity. So the transition happened in about the 1830s. Before that, the concept that something could fail was an economic term or an engineering term. So crops could fail, the market could fail, even a bridge could fail, but no person would own that as an identity, that I am a failure. But it was about the 1830s. You can see this illustrated strongly in Abraham Lincoln's life. You know, it's fascinating. Nearly all historians count Abraham Lincoln as one of the greatest leaders ever to live in the history of humanity. Leo Tolstoy tells a funny story where he was going and kind of going into like what we would consider like unreached people groups in like the Aborigine area of the Caucasus, and he's uh, and they're asking him uh, questions about Abraham Lincoln. So somehow they had heard. He's one of the greatest leaders in the history of Earth, and he had three nearly total mental breakdowns, all because of this overwhelming sense of personal failure. 
The first one happened when he was 32 years old and his doctor's evaluation says that you have become within an inch of becoming a perfect lunatic for life. That's an interesting, uh, you know, a perfect lunatic for life. And in that world, if you were considered a lunatic, you'd be institutionalized and you could never get out. He was very close to that when he was 32 years old. And part of the weight on him was this sense of, like, failure. You know, 1854, Henry David Thoreau, you know, his, the famous poet, said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And what's so interesting, even at Thoreau, if you know his story, he just retreated to a, the pond and wrote poetry that no one purchased. And then at the end of his life, even at his funeral, his friend, Ralph, Ralph Waldo Emerson, so it's hard not to, or it's hard to escape the inevitable conclusion that his life was a failure because no one bought his poetry. And you just wonder, is that just an American thing or has it always been that way? Even the, one of the greatest books ever written, Augustine's Confessions, says our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. We're always restless. But I do think one of the unique aspects of our age is that our hearts have always been restless, but our world just pours fuel on that fire. You know, we're in the current life stage where there's just certain movies that are just cycle on repeat. Several years ago, it was Frozen. We moved past that. And right now, one of them is Sing 2. And so if you're not familiar with Sing 2, it's a story about the kind of these small town musicians who are trying to make it in the big city. He has like this, you know, American Idol kind of thing. And the first time we were watching it, the, the climax of the movie, kind of the great culmination is this reclusive uh, musician who's been in hiding for like 20 years, uh, who's played by Bono. He kind of comes out and has this kind of final climactic moment where he comes out and he sings, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And the first time we were watching that, he's coming out and he's singing and it's all kind of the emotions build up to this moment and I start singing along. And then my kids look at me like, how do you know that song? You know, my, my coolness level shot up like 20 <laughs> levels. Like, how, you know the song, how do you know? It's like... I've never seen this movie before, but I have seen this movie many times before. <laughs> we still, why are we such a restless people? And then here in Matthew 20, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it's one of the most famous uh, words that ever come out of Jesus' mouth. It's one of the most beautiful calls. It's a very short, succinct uh, couple of verses that in some sense are one of the most perfect summaries of what he can give, and then how we can experience life in his name. <clears throat> so first, let's just hear it. Hear the call. Come to me, all who are, I want to say weary, labor, heavy laden, burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly, meek, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So first we've got to hear it and we kind of set the stage. Matthew 11, uh, last year we went through this whole chapter and it's such a brilliant, beautiful chapter that's set up. It begins with the most important question you can ever ask and it ends with the most important invitation you can ever hear. It begins with John the Baptist's question, are you the one to come? 
We have been waiting and longing and looking and hoping, and we thought you were the one who was going to usher in the salvation of Israel and the restoration of our people, but it doesn't look like it's happening. I'm stuck here in prison dying. Are you the one to come? Because I had expectations about my life and your life, and it's not panning out. Are you the one to come? And then Jesus sets up about blessed is one who's not offended by him, who sees. Go tell John what you see. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame leap, the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. And then there's this very stark call where he says, woe to you. And he pronounces a woe on all the cities that primarily saw all of his miracles. Because they had heard him. They had seen him. But they were treating him with utter indifference. He says, woe to you. And then he has a celebration where he praises the Father uh, about who is actually coming and responding. And it's been hid from the wise and the learned. And it's the, those who are like children who are coming. And then he issues this invitation. Come to me. And then notice what he promises. He promises rest. Rest. So let's think about that promise for a second. Rest. Now, to help you understand, because we have a, con you know, I think we think of rest as naturally just stopping moving or like vacation. Or when I say rest, like what comes into your mind? Like, do you think about a chair at the beach or a drink with an umbrella in it? Like, what do you think of when you think of rest? Now, to kind of understand first century concepts of rest, you will need a first century physics lesson. But school just started back, so don't be alarmed. Maybe it won't be too difficult. I actually thought about asking some of the middle school boys, like maybe Dale, where's Dale, the Peacock boys, uh, to help me with this illustration. But I thought this might be a little, little safer. So think first century physics lesson. So think about fire. Like you have... You have fire, and kind of no matter how you turn fire, it's trying to go up. See, first century world, uh, first century physics, this is just basic Aristotelian physics, that all physical bodies, everything from the smallest to the greatest, has a certain natural weight. It's, it's a weight, and then you have a natural origin a place that you're desiring to go. And so, like, fire always tends to rise because the home, the origin of fire is the sun, and all fire is trying to seek to return to its home. It's seeking its rest. You also have things like rocks. Now, I borrowed this from my four-year-old's rock collection, and he was very anxious and wanted me to promise him that no one would steal his rock. So please respect the man's rock. Now, I'm not going to drop this because I don't want to bill for the tile, but you all know what would happen if I dropped this rock. And first century physics is why does that happen? See, if I ask you why does that happen, you say gravity. No, that's not why it happens. <laughs> First century physics, this happens is because this is innately made from the earth, and its desire, no matter where it is, is to return to the earth. So that's why it falls. It's that way with water. Water's home is the ocean, so it's always going that way. It's that way when you try and mix things that shouldn't be mixed, so you have water and you have oil. Each of them have a natural weight, and they are going to fight with one another until they can be properly ordered, and the oil is on top and the water is below. And what they would say is all human souls uh, 
operate under the same physical law. Like our souls were created to rest somewhere or in something. So Greek philosophy is that this body is a prison that's holding down our soul and it's meant to ascend and rise to the heavenlies. That's what they would say love is. Love is the energy that's trying to get you to your place of rest, where you were meant to be, where you were created to be, where you could find rest. I say the problem, unlike fire and unlike this stone, is something has happened that has disoriented us. So now we actually don't know which direction to go to find our place of rest. We're like a compass that has been broken, and we're supposed to point north, but we don't know what way north is. So that's why Augustine says things like, our hearts are restless. They've been disordered. They're pointing in every direction, and we're trying to go after things, but we don't realize our proper orientation, which the proper orientation is up. We'll always be restless until we rest in God. So that's the, that's the idea that Jesus has promised. He's promising something so much more than just like a day off or a lounge, you know, time to lounge at the beach. Now notice his, then he's going to give this threefold pathway. So that's the promise. Total settledness, rest. And then there's a threefold pathway. He gives three commands, and those commands are beautiful summaries of what it means to follow him faithfully. Come to me. Come, take, learn. Come, take, learn. First one is come to me. But do you notice who Jesus invites? You know, he's building his family. He's calling people. Who would you expect him to say, we want to come to us? What might you expect? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are. I mean, this is America. We like winners. Come to me, all you who win, who are successful, who are satisfied. Come to me. And so he says, weary, wounded, burdened. Come to me, all you who are tired, poor, tempest-tossed, the refugees, the bound. And then notice the two problems. I think it's important. They're, they're, they labor or weary and are heavy laden. And the way I want you to think about those two problems, because that word labor, it's not just the normal word for work. There's a basic word that just means work. It's not work. It's, it's, it's weary. It's worn out. So almost think of like weary as just internal weariness. The image that comes to mind is from uh, Emma, if you've ever seen or read Jane Austen's Emma, and Jane Fairfax, who's one of the uh, characters, and Emma sees her, and she looks just worn out. She asks her, are you tired? Are you weary? And she says, oh, I am weary. I'm tired, but not that kind of tired. I'm so tired because she had a secret that she had to keep hidden and had to constantly pretend like something was true when it wasn't and something was when it wasn't. She's so weary. So that's weary, internal weariness. And then the external heavy laden is just things placed on you. You're just under a weight. This is the weight of responsibilities that you have, the weight of expectations, the weight of things that have been put on you. So two problems, internal weariness, external responsibilities, expectations. But then notice what he calls them to. It's come to me. Come. This is a perfect summary of what real worship is. Worship is coming to him. 
he's echoing Exodus 33, that classic passage where after the people's rebellion and Moses is up on the mountain and God says, I'm going to, I'll still, still send you into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. And Moses says, if you don't go with us, we are not leaving. And then finally God says, okay, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Here's the combination, my presence your rest. It's the theme in Psalm 95, one of the best succinct places to understand what worship is, where he celebrates. Come into the presence with thanksgiving in your heart. Make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. And in the end, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, because if you do, you will not enter his rest. So as we hear his voice, we come into his presence. We come. That's his call to worship. But then notice his call is to take, take something. His promise is rest, and then he tells you to take. How, like, how would you expect that blank to be filled? All right, I promise you rest. Here, take this. So, for example, you go to the mall and go into the sleep number store. They will promise you 45 extra minutes of rest a day. What do you need to take? He's all right, I promise you rest, so here, take this $8,000 magic memory foam mattress. Or here, take this vacation home, take this pillow, take this pill. What does he say? Take this yoke. This yoke. So wait a second, that doesn't make sense. Pull up, Cody, pull up the image of what the yoke is. So take, take this giant wooden beam that's going to be propped on your neck. The yoke is a work tool. How is this a promise of rest? You know, this is, in essence, Jesus' call is if you want to find rest for your souls, you got to join me in what I'm doing. The way we like to define mission here is joining Jesus as he makes all things new. He's in the project of restoring all things, and our job is to join him. And you actually will never find rest for your souls until you join him in his work. You can go through the Gospels and say, all right, well, what was his work even while he was here? He was going around, preaching, teaching, healing what's broken, defeating what's evil. That's his work. Join him. So it's really a remarkable promise. Here, you want to rest, start working with me. And then notice the third thing. He says, learn from me. That's a beautiful summary of just what discipleship is. Discipleship is learning from him. You know, the rest comes not from escape, but from equipment and education. Rest comes from learning, from working, from doing, from being in God's will from carrying, moving, plowing. So these are kind of the three core commitments. So if you want to experience rest, you have to come to me and experience, in essence, worship, mission, discipleship. It's this life. And that's kind of the triad we use, like on our front of the bulletin, our desire as a church to be God-centered. Those are our three core commitments of worship, mission, discipleship. These are the three core things that if you're going to experience rest and life, you have to uh, pursue those things. That's where it's found. You know, our hearts are always going to be like the flame trying to get somewhere. And those are the places where we find settledness and rest. So hear it. Now let's think for a moment, how do we heed it? I love, it was brought to my attention this week, uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this verse. I think we might have that up. But are you tired, worn out, 
burned out on religion, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love that idea of learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So how do you learn that? What are those? You have to heed the call. And you know, one of the things, just the reality is understanding we will always be restless till we're properly oriented. You know, that's also one of the kind of the logics behind our logo. One of the logics behind our logo is that we live in a restless world and we live in an ambitious place. So you can look at like the Lake Nona logo, like the waves, the waves going horizontally. We're very ambitious, but it's horizontal. And the logic is to turn those things vertical because you'll never find rest until you rest in him, until you're properly oriented in him. So what do we need to do? Well, he told us the pathway. Come to him. Now, the, for the next few minutes, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. And I want you to really think about those questions and write them down. And at some point this week, find someone you can talk to about these things. I've been amazed at the conversation that can open up. We, uh, after church a couple weeks ago, asked, asked our kids, asked my kids from, the, from Bartimaeus, if you stood before Jesus, and he said, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? And then what they said opened up this beautiful window into their hearts that had never seen or noticed before. So here's some questions. Uh, the first call, come to me. How can you come to him? First All right, he's calling us to him, or well, where is he to be found? And I think the two primary places he's to be found is when he's gathered, his people gather for worship, and then in his word. These are part of the rhythms, the unhurried, unforced rhythms of grace, where you come. You know, one of Jesus's, like you could read through the Gospel of Luke, Luke really said, and you could read, all right, what was Jesus's basic, like what did he do? One of the issues, what, what things, because Luke will tell you, as was his custom. This is what he did. These were his habits, his custom. So like in Luke 4, 16, he came to Nazareth when he was, where he was brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and teach. So every Saturday, Jesus was in the places of worship with God's people and he was teaching every Saturday. That was part of his rhythms, unforced rhythms. And then what does Luke tell you a couple of verses later? As was his custom, he ascended into the mountain alone to pray. So these are two parts of his just rhythms. He's with God's people learning, and then he's praying throughout the week. And then Mark chapter 1 gives you a beautiful just picture of what was a day like in the life of Jesus. And there's this dynamic back and forth between uh, retreating to be filled and then going out to be active. You know, one of the things we can do is we can use like psychological classifications to kind of pigeonhole ourselves. So, for example, was Jesus an introvert or was he an extrovert? Yes, <laughs> he actually did both of them. And so how do we become more like Jesus? We do both of them. And so he retreated uh, for personal prayer with the Lord to rejuvenate him. And then he went active out into the world. So come to me. So there's a question, what, you know, how do you come to him? 
Then maybe a better, deeper question is, what's keeping you from him? I mean, hear his call. Come. Come to me. Why do you stay away? What keeps us from him? What causes the distance? Do we stay away because we're too distracted? Too disinterested? Lack of discipline? Going to do other things? What's keeping you away from him? You know, that worshipful life of loving him. We'll always be restless till we orient ourselves to that rhythm of worship. But also orienting ourselves to that rhythm of work. Take my yoke, the active life of loving neighbor. Worship is loving God with all heart, mind, and soul, and strength. And your yoke is the active life of loving neighbor as uh, yourself. How can you join him? Join him. Take his yoke upon you. What ways do you think you can join him in what he's doing? You know, part of Lincoln's breakdown happened because he was cast on this sea of endless opportunity and obligation to become a self-made man. That was a great theme in the 1830s in America. You can be a self-made man. And eventually, he got his proper orientation, his purpose for life. But it, it took a while. You know, how can you join Jesus in what he's doing Join him in the way he's healing the broken, defeating the evil. Join him to be salt and light. I was thinking about this on sabbatical, and one of the senses of my own sense of personal failures, battling a sense of feeling like a failure as a father. Like, I know I should be doing more to, to love and disciple my children, but I just feel this sense of, of failing. And it dawned on me one day as I was thinking how, you know, I wonder, because there's this almost this sense of, you know, I don't really quite know what to do. But then it dawned on me, what if in one sense, I, like, what did Jesus do? Who is Jesus to me? When he says, take my yoke, who am I? Jesus the Christ. The Christ is a title that gives us his three jobs. His three jobs are he's the prophet, priest, king. And what if joining Jesus in that yoke of fatherhood is taking on the responsibility to be the prophet, to teach and train, to be the priest, to sacrificially love, and to be the king, to guide and govern, to order life in such a way so flourishing can happen. Maybe that's what it means to take that yoke upon me, his yoke, and maybe I'll always be restless as a father until I settle in to those three tasks. I don't know. It's worth really thinking about. What does it mean to settle in and each role and responsibility you have is settling in under his yoke? In your roles, your responsibilities, how can you follow him? Take that yoke upon yourself. And then last, learn from him. You know, it's learn from me. You know, this is the kind of knowledge we most need. It's relational. It's personal. It's person to person. It's not the kind of learn from this book, learn from this course, learn from this lecture. It's learn from me. 
one of the beautiful things about the Gospel of Matthew is it's given to us to teach us. Matthew structures his Gospel around five major teaching blocks where we're supposed to learn. The first teaching block is the Sermon on the Mount. Learn what it means to live the life in the kingdom. Second major teaching block in chapter 10. Learn what it means to be on mission with him. 13. Learn what it means for his kingdom to come. Chapters 16 through 18. Learn what it means to be a part of him building his house. Chapters 24. Learn what it means to have hope and how he's ending uh, bringing the world to completion. We learn from him. Think about your life right now. What do you need to learn from him? Need to learn how to love? Learn how to lead, learn how to teach, learn how to walk in the power of the Spirit, how to suffer well, how to love well. What do you need to learn? It'd be interesting conversation at lunch with people around you. What do you think you need to learn? Your wife might tell you something that could surprise you if you ask her, what do you think I need to learn? Could be risky. What do we need to learn? What is he says? You learn from me, for my yoke is easy, my birth. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. You know, we do live in an age that blurs fuel on restless hearts, an age that celebrates winners. But what do we need to learn here? Are two things that get called out is we can learn humility and we can learn gentleness. You know, humility is not really a value or a virtue in our world, but it's what the Lord loves. You think about Isaiah 66, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And he has told you, oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. And we can look to Christ as a tremendous example of real humility, strength under control, strength used in the service of others. I mean, all throughout Christ's life, we see what it's like to walk the birth in the manger, lowly, no place to lay his head, a life given to touching the unclean and eating the outcasts and even washing the feet of those who are called to follow and serve him. But of course, every Sunday we celebrate the greatest example of him emptying himself to the point of death, death on the cross, making himself uh, obedient, taking on the form of a servant, making himself nothing so that the one who knew no sin would become sin on our behalf. And so each Sunday he calls us to come, come to him. And here it's where you can find rest for your racing mind and intellectual rest. You can find rest for your weary soul. It's where you can find rest for your aimless life. You can find rest. So last couple questions to think about. What causes you to be weary? Think about the things in your life that cause soul weariness. What are the things that cause you to be weary? And what are the things that cause you to be burdened? We feel like either expectations, responsibilities, what's placed on you where you feel the weight of the burden? Come, bring both of those things to him now.
Lord, we praise you for this incredible call. Praise you for the call to worship, the call to join you in a life of meaning and purpose and significance, and the call to learn from you. I thank you that you haven't just left us aimless in the world, groping, trying to figure life out, but you've sent your son to uh, teach us, to redeem us, to save us. And so I ask, I pray for everyone here that you would help us to become aware of those things that cause us to be weary and that we would lay them at your feet. Help us to be aware of those things that cause us to be burdened and those things that are improper, improperly placed on us. Give us the courage to throw them off. And the things that have been properly placed on us, give us the wisdom and courage and strength to, to bear them well. And all this we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. Each week we...